0: From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News.
1: Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Cindy and Steve. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Well, here are the issues. Russian President Vladimir Putin said the United States was trying to pull Russia into an armed conflict over Ukraine that Moscow did not want, cautioning that the West had not yet satisfied Russia's demands for a realm of influence in Eastern Europe, but that he hoped dialogue will be continued. The Pentagon is deploying over 3,000 troops to bolster European allies. The first such movement as the U.S. looks to bolster NATO's capabilities in the region. Moscow has over 100,000 troops stationed on the border with Ukraine, and the West fears an imminent Russian invasion, which the Kremlin denies. Democrats on Capitol Hill are faced with a mixture of issues to tackle, including the looming confirmation process of President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court and the dormant status of Build Back Better Talks. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he does not support shortening the sentences of any of the people who have pled guilty to crimes related to the January 6, 2021 storming of the U.S. Capitol building. The 2022 Winter Games opened in Beijing during an ongoing pandemic and at a time of particularly intense Western criticism of China over human rights abuses. Beijing denies human rights abuses, but Western powers from the U.S. to the U.K. announced a diplomatic boycott of the opening ceremony. Those are the issues. Let's get started. Well, Cindy, top diplomats from Russia and the U.S. have been discussing the tense situation of Russia possibly going to war with Ukraine. So what is the status at this point of these
0: talks? Well, Kim, one could say now, as U.S. Secretary of State Blinken has said, the ball is in Russia's court and the ball is specifically in Russian President Vladimir Putin's court after the US gave Russia its requested written reply. And now the world seems to be just basically waiting and watching to see whether Putin will decide to invade Ukraine or not with these troops and military forces amassed on its borders with Ukraine, three borders, and also in the Crimea and in Belarus. And you mentioned Putin seemed to try out a new line saying that the US is just using Ukraine as a tool and that basically one of the ways it could be used would be to draw Russia into a war and uh, of course experts point out okay it's Putin who has put all these Russian troops near the Ukraine border. And Putin is blaming the U.S. for escalating tensions. But uh, experts would say uh, this is far-fetched. And and some are saying that Putin seems to have painted himself into a bit of a corner, that he's amassed all these troops, and now he's made these demands asking basically for U.S. and for NATO— to promise never to admit Ukraine, and for NATO to withdraw some of its forces from Eastern Europe. And the U.S. and NATO have both said no. And so now it's pretty much up to him what to do with this massive military buildup.
2: Remember a few weeks ago when President Biden and others in the administration, Secretary of State Blinken and others, said that a Russian invasion could happen at any time? Well, It still hasn't happened. And I'm personally and professionally buoyed by the diplomatic efforts by the United States and NATO allies that have stepped up since those statements a few weeks ago, we saw Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the U.K. having conversations with Putin, where French President Macron is supposed to be calling Putin. Turkey's president is going to be visiting Ukraine and is trying to help mediate the situation and has offered himself to do that. So the diplomatic efforts are still ongoing. And so far, with 100,000 of Russian troops amassed on the other side of the Ukrainian border, there still hasn't been that movement in. So far, it looks like the diplomatic pressure and the threat of sanctions are working. Will it hold? That's for, really, Vladimir Putin to answer.
1: Yes, and also his comments at a news conference in Moscow with Prime Minister Viktor Orban of Hungary had marked the first time since December that he had spoken publicly about the crisis. So when you look at that, like what would prompt him now to speak out and why had he been so silent before?
0: right well it was interesting that putin said that russia's main concerns had been ignored and sort of putting himself into a position of sounding a bit complaining or, or whiny some might say and the u.s is expecting now a written response from russia as these things go and there aren't any more plans at the moment for more meetings or calls between U.S. diplomats and Russian diplomats. But as Steve said, there's a lot of diplomacy going on and the German chancellor is planning to go to the Kremlin and to come to Washington and Macron may meet with Putin. So there is still diplomacy in the works and and some analysts are telling me that Putin may be a bit surprised at how the U.S. and Secretary Blinken have managed to forge unity with allies and that there is a United States and that that they have promised very tough economic sanctions on President Putin's inner circle and perhaps cutting them off from the international banking and financial system if Russia does invade Ukraine. Yes, that's a really good point um, bringing up
1: the sanctions because U.S. senators are working on legislation to sanction Russia over its actions. And Even some lawmakers on Capitol Hill are saying that the sanctions should be placed on Russia now. What is reaction to that?
2: The sanctions that Congress is considering would be complementary to whatever sanctions the Biden administration and the European Union and NATO and several other countries would put on Russia. As far as Congress is concerned, it's more about appearances than anything else to show that Congress is indeed in lockstep with the White House. One of the Republicans on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I found this interesting, Rob Portman of Ohio, said the legislation on Russia and the sanctions are, are focused on ensuring that Congress provides a quote, strong bicameral, which means both houses of Congress and bipartisan message to both the people of Ukraine and to Vladimir Putin and the Russians that the United States stands with Ukraine. Yes, some of the congressional sanctions that they're talking about would go into effect before any sort of invasion or action by Russia to punish them for what Russia has already done with its military buildup. The Biden administration, however, is concerned that any sanctions that are placed on Russia before President Putin takes any kind of action toward Ukraine would encounter the deterrence factor that sanctions hold. And those sanctions would likely strike at Russia's Energy sector, and one round of sanctions that has been floated is to cut off Moscow's access to technology and imports of technology, such as computer chips and other technology that Americans and the U.S. has. Created parts of U.S. intellectual property. So that would really both slow down Russia's military efforts because computer chips are used to run basically everything, as well as hurt the Russian economy, the Russian population, because they wouldn't be able to get their hands on the latest technology. So I think that the specter of sanctions is what is really keeping the world at a place where nothing has happened yet. That diplomacy has the opportunity to work. Whether there's an off-ramp for President Putin or not, that's still to be seen. But so far, the threat of sanctions and diplomacy seems to be working.
1: So I guess at this point, we can only just hope that the two, the sanctions and diplomacy, continue to work Looking back at Capitol Hill, the White House believes there's still overwhelming support for a number of components of the Build Back Better Act. But Senator Joe Manchin said no new formal talks have begun. So, Steve, what is the status of the proposal?
2: Basically, it's where it has been for the last uh, year plus, which is this Build Back Better plan, which includes a lot of climate change legislation, as well as a lot of social safety net legislation, is still kind of in limbo. Democrats are still trying to work within their own party, to get the 49th and 50th senator, the most conservative senators, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, to agree to some sort of legislation to both provide climate change legislation and a social safety net. The calendar is the biggest enemy of the Democrats, because the midterm elections, the elections that will affect the composition of Congress is held in 10 months in November. And Democrats see that clock ticking. And in order for them to get this legislation passed, they got to get their whole caucus involved. And one of the Democratic senators from New Mexico, Senator Ben Ray Lujan, just had a stroke, just suffered from a stroke. So he is unable to vote on any legislation. So that's going to delay any movement of any bills until he can come back and provide that vote that would get the Senate to 50 votes and allow Vice President Kamala Harris to cast any tie-breaking vote. So the clock is ticking, and Democrats have their eyes on not just the clock, but the health of their whole caucus. If any one of them is too ill to continue as a senator or perhaps dies, then— That allows the Republicans, perhaps, to have the majority, at least until that seat is filled with 50 Republicans and then 49 Democrats. So Democrats are really looking to both the clock and the health of their members to get anything passed in the Senate this year.
1: And if the senator is expected to return to Washington, but if this does not happen, then what would happen with some of their legislation? How would the voting go?
2: If the senator is unable to continue his term, then the governor of the state of New Mexico would appoint a replacement and it would likely be a Democrat. But what his absence means is that for the next four to six weeks, The Democrats in in the Senate aren't going to hold a vote that they know that they would lose. So everything kind of stays in suspended animation until he can come back and the Democrats can then move forward. It may give the Democrats a little bit more time and a little bit more room to cajole those two recalcitrant senators to come aboard and see that their votes are needed in order to make this pass. That said, time is of the essence for the Democrats to get things moving as well. Democrats are hoping that President Biden's choice for the Supreme Court vacancy that has just uh, in the past week opened, Democrats are hoping that that choice will help build some momentum, at least on issues that revolve around the Supreme Court, such as abortion and other social issues, can rally the voters behind the Democrats' push for their progressive agenda.
0: Right, Kim. And as Steve said, this chance for President Biden to put a new person on the Supreme Court has given him a much needed boost. And President Biden had long ago promised to appoint the first black woman to the Supreme Court. And uh, there are several women who have been named. And one of them is from South Carolina. And you even have Republican senators from South Carolina who have expressed their support. And so I think that things are looking pretty good for President Biden to be able to put the person that he wants on the court and some would say well you know with Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema as we've often talked about on this program blocking the build back better agenda and everything why hasn't Biden called them out more starkly well perhaps just for cases like this where he he needs every democratic vote although perhaps he can hope to get a couple of republicans to vote for his Supreme Court nominee
2: That certainly is his game plan. Biden, by nature, is a bipartisan type of politician, wants to get Republican buy-in to his plans. And I do think that the idea of getting a few Republicans to come over and vote for his nominee is part of the calculus on who he's going to select among the very qualified African-American women who are being considered.
1: Yes, you will raise some really good points on this issue, so we'll have to see if progressives and moderates see the pick as a unifying moment across the ideological spectrum after months of battles over Biden's legislative agenda. Well, it's time now for a quick break, and when we return, a statement made by former President Donald Trump sparks new controversy over the sentencing of those who attacked the Capitol building on January 6, 2021 issues in the news is coming to you from the voice of america in washington if you would like to download the program it's free on itunes just click on the itunes tab on our website at voanews.com while you're there check out our other programs press conference usa and encounter also visit us on facebook and leave a comment or two then like us at current affairs with carol castiel now back to our panel via skype Cindy Sane, VOA senior diplomatic correspondent, and Steve Reddish, VOA executive producer. Well, a new controversy was sparked when former President Donald Trump stated at a recent rally in Texas that he would consider pardons for people who tried to stop the certification of President Biden's victory in the 2020 election. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he does not support shortening the sentences of any of the people who have pled guilty to the crimes, and Trump's statement was based on if he runs in 2024 and if he wins. Also, another Republican senator Senator Lindsey Graham. He is also a longtime ally of former President Donald Trump. He said on a CBS television news show, Face the Nation, last Sunday that pardoning those who took part in the January 6th attack was inappropriate. How does this illustrate the delicate balance that GOP members are trying to maintain with Trump while also condemning the violence that took place?
2: Trump's statement was just another thorn in the side of Republicans who are ready to move on from the former president. McConnell's response and and the response, as you mentioned, of several other prominent Republicans, Lindsey Graham, one of them, is indicative of the Republicans' need to move on from President Trump. It reminded me of back when Trump was still president, and every time he would say some either ridiculous or controversial statement, reporters would run to McConnell and other prominent Republicans and ask what they thought. And the look on McConnell's face always kind of Radiated annoyance at having to discuss some of these controversial statements. And now, as former President Trump is the former president, they're still having to go and respond to the various controversial statements the former president makes. You can see on their face and and in their response that they are trying to move forward. And trying to figure out how to be able to have a party that is successful, a political party that is successful and wins elections on various different levels, including the highest level in the country as president. With the former president making all of these controversial statements, it isn't helping the Republican Party overall, at least from the perspectives of their leaders, and trying to break the Trump hold on the party is something that mcconnell has quietly been trying to do but so far has been unsuccessful
1: yes and the investigation is being conducted by the house select committee it continues as they scrutinize former president trump's involvement in proposals to seize voting machines after the 2020 election so it looks like the committee is determined to continue on with the investigation Full speed ahead, regardless of opposition, regardless of former President Trump's statements,
0: Yes, I would agree, Kim. And the committee has interviewed a couple of former Vice President Mike Pence's closest aides this week, which is interesting because on that day when the violent mob attacked the U.S. Capitol, as lawmakers were meeting to certify Joe Biden as the winner of the election, the members of the mob were chanting, hang Mike Pence, and were looking for Mike Pence. And in other controversial statements this week, former President Trump, Trump wrote in a statement that Pence should have overturned the election. He actually used the word overturn the election results, and he called on Pence to be investigated. So some eyes are turning now to Pence, who will be speaking at a Republican convention, to see what he will say about these ongoing attacks from former President Trump. But the committee is doing its work, and some are saying these statements in public at the rally and and these written statements by former President Trump could actually be incriminating.
2: There are only two Republican members on the January 6th investigative committee in the House of Representatives. Adam Kinzinger from Illinois and Liz Cheney from Wyoming. Both of them have been very stern and, and serious in their opposition to the former president. And there's a, a resolution within the Republican Party to basically kick those two out of the party because of their participation on the January 6th committee. One thing that I noted that I thought was interesting, going back to the sentencing of people who were took part in the attack, a lawyer for a woman who was was sentenced to a year's probation for just being inside the Capitol on January 6th with all of the rioters. The lawyers said if a wild conspiracy theorist like Donald Trump was never elected, My client would never have lived the remainder of her life without ever appearing before a judge, basically saying, blaming the president for calling people to attack the Capitol. And this lawyer's client was one of them who heard this appeal and went, there hadn't been a Donald Trump, she would have never been in a courtroom, according to this lawyer.
1: Now for our last topic, the Winter Olympics are underway in Beijing, China, amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and criticism over human rights abuses. How will the country handle these two issues while being spotlighted on the international stage?
0: As your listeners may know, Kim, the U.S. is not going to have any official diplomatic representation at the games. And at the State Department on Wednesday, spokesperson Ned Price was asked about how U.S. athletes should behave. You know, if they could criticize China for its human rights abuses, for, as we know, the persecution of religious minorities, the Uyghur, Muslims, and others, where uh, up to a million people are in forced detention camps. And Ned Price said U.S. athletes are always entitled to address their opinions freely. The reporter asked, well, how freely can they really express their opinions in China? And some top Republicans have asked the Olympic Committee not only to protect U.S. athletes while they are there, but also to inform them about these systematic human rights abuses in, in China so that they will know what they're going into.
2: The Olympics is supposed to be this celebration of the world's athletes the world's greatest athletes and spotlight the hosting country but because of covid the athletes who in previous olympics were seen gathering and being able to tour the country and be able to celebrate not only their own victories but the victories of the competitors the socializing and discovery and the camaraderie that we witnessed in previous olympics isn't going to be there mostly this year because of covid and China's policies are being spotlighted because they're hosting the Olympics. It's all gonna reflect back on our television screens while we're watching the two weeks of competition, and so far, I'm a big sports guy. I love watching the Olympics, and I have not seen the kind of hype or interest in wanting to watch these Olympics as I've noticed and felt myself, as well as my friends in comparison to previous years. What I'm really looking forward to in these Olympics is watching the Ukraine-Russia hockey game. That's going to be something to watch.
1: Yes and I think China is counting on that it's the athletes that they're wanting everyone to focus on and this is not the first time that China has had to weather the storm of controversy. When Beijing hosted the 2008 Summer Olympics, high profile protest dog the global torch relay, there was pressure on leaders to skip the opening ceremony and environmentalists warned that the intense pollution that shrouded Beijing would be a major world problem. But China was able to weather that storm so Perhaps they're thinking the same, that once the competition begins, the focus will shift to the athletes, as you pointed out, Steve.
2: Yes, and one of the things to remember is because of COVID, the athletes are going to be there. But a lot of the people who we have depended on over the past years in bringing those Olympics to us, the familiar voices, of announcers. They're not going to be in China. At least most of the American announcers are not going to be in China. So this is an Olympics that is going to be seen and felt from a very far distance for most of the television viewers around the world. And I'm interested in seeing whether or not that detachment translates into less interest in the Olympics in two years from now and four years from now.
1: Well, we will have to see how it all pans out, and my focus will be on the athletes as well. So we will have to close the show on that note. My thanks to our panelists, VOA senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. And a quick shout-out to the VOA agency as it celebrates 80 years of service this month. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.